right, well, good morning, church. How are we doing? Good. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. We are in week seven of our First Samuel sermon series, and so grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16 in just a minute with a message that I've titled, This is the One. But before we dive in, let me tell you about something that's exciting and it's coming our way this fall. I know I posted on social media, you might have seen it. It was either on Thursday or Friday about exciting news. This is the news. And so everybody get ready. It's going to be blow and knock your socks off. It's not what you maybe were expecting. It's something that we've never done here at FCC before, but it's something that the Lord has laid on my heart about eight, nine, ten months ago, and it's called... Harvest Weekend. And you may be sitting here thinking, all right, that's not what I was expecting. Well, let me get you all excited about it because here it is. Here, what, what it is is if you think about Harvest Weekend, you may be thinking, all right, so what is this Harvest Weekend all about? Well, if you take summer camp and you mix it with like a Valley Student Conference and then you blend it together with an old school revival, it's going to spit out Harvest Weekend, all right? And so that's essentially what's coming your way this fall. And so you may be thinking, how did this come about? Well, here's how it came about. I was thinking about eight, nine, ten months ago about our student ministry and about our kids' life ministry. And what I realized is this. I realized that we have things like summer camps. We have things like vacation Bible school and fall retreat, all kinds of things for our kids to help them grow and develop and to really move them down the field in a faster way. You think about it. You take a kid away to camp for five days, take them away from the, the, the wickedness that is the world for five straight days and saturate them with the Word of God, and what happens? Well, you just heard it from Kevin. God moves in kids' hearts, right? It brings people to them. And so I started thinking, well, that's great. We got that through age 18, but then what's after that? And I realized we don't really have anything like that for adults, and so that's what this is for you as adults. And so why are we doing Harvest Weekend? Very simple. We want to give you, every single one of you, whether you are an elementary school student or whether you're a student or whether you are actually an adult, no matter how old you are, we want to give you an opportunity to experience a spiritual revival. And I know that word kind of scares our culture today, but a spiritual revival in your heart. We are going to ask that the Lord is going to move us down the field spiritually in an accelerated way, and we're desiring that God will move in our hearts and in this community. The actual event actually came out of the Scripture passage of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Here's what it says. It says, Then, if my people... Who is that? That's us, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and do what? And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Guess what the Lord's promise is? He says, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will restore their land. And so that's what we're praying for. We're praying big-time prayers, big-time bold prayers that the Lord is going to answer that prayer and he's going to bring a spiritual revival first into our individual hearts but then secondly, into our community at large here across the Roanoke Valley. And so what do you expect from this weekend? A couple things. Number one, you can expect preaching from God's Word. Absolutely, it's coming, and it's coming hot, right? Number two, you can expect powerful worship. If you liked what we had on Easter this year, think Easter on steroids. That's what's coming. Next thing, you can expect to see some prayer and some fasting. We've talked about these things in passing, but as a church family, I can't remember a time where we ever fasted and sought the Lord to move in a dynamic way. And so that's some of the things that we're going to be doing. There's going to be a 15-day devotional that our life group leaders are in the process of writing right now. And so here's what I would say to you. I need you to mark your calendars right now, right? All year long, here's what we say. We say, you know what? And, and none of these things are bad. Hear me well. None of these things, these things are bad. But we say, you know what? I can't make it to church this week because I'm on vacation. That's not bad. 
That's the reality. Sometimes we say, I can't make it to church because I got to work, right? Sometimes I can't make it to work or to church because I got to go visit my grandma, right? And if your grandma's sick, go visit her, right? That's not what I'm saying. But here's what I am saying. We, we make plans all the time and we work around certain weekends because we got travel sports, we got games, we got all these different things in our life. But here's the question for you. The question is, what if for one weekend, instead of saying, I can't be there because I got this or I can't be, what if we said, you know what? All these other things, I'm going to put them aside for one weekend, and it's going to be a weekend where my family goes all in for Christ. We are all solely focused and running the exact same direction, praying that the Lord will, one, move in our hearts in a dynamic way, but two, sweep across this valley and make an impact on all of the Roanoke Valley. That's what I'm praying for, all right? That's what I'm praying for. And here it is. It's at Faith Christian. You may be thinking, is this just for Southwest? No, it ain't, right? And so you better get here early because it's for all four campuses. Yes, Salem's coming, North's coming, and our Espanol's coming. And we got to somehow fit in this building on Friday and Saturday night. It's going to be a straight-up party, y'all, and for the Lord. And so here it is, Friday night, mark your calendar, 7 o'clock-ish. We're going to have session number one. Saturday afternoon, we're going to reach into the valley, and we're going to have what you would call a harvest festival. If you ever seen Parks and Rec before, you know what a harvest festival is, right? So we're going to have a harvest festival. We're not going to do that extreme. That's, that's pretty extreme. But anyway, Saturday night, we're coming back here, session number two. And then Saturday, uh, Sunday morning, we're going to have session number three right here in this building. And we're going to dunk some individuals because I believe that the Lord is going to change lives that weekend. And we're going to walk it out in faith. Amen? Amen. So that's what we're going to do. And so I need you to mark your calendars right now. There's, now, there's the dates once again, November 10 to 12, once a month. I'm going to be reminding you of this so you don't forget. Now, Let's dive in. All right, here's where we're going. We're going we're gonna to see 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. As I said before, we're in the middle of this journey through this wonderful book. And in chapter 16, when we come to it, what we're going to see is a shift. The book's going to kind of make a turn. You see, the first 15 chapters were about Samuel, the prophet of God who anointed Saul as king. And last week, what we saw is that Saul made a turn for the worse. And the reason it happened is he began to look inward, and he began to make everything about himself. And so at this point in the story, Saul has disobeyed God multiple times. He's done it over and over and over again. And as we come now to, chap or to yeah, chapter 16, what we find is that God is actually ready to move on. He's ready to anoint a new king, and that's where we're going to pick up 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, how long, Samuel, will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Go and fill your oil, fill your horn with oil. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now, at this point in the story, here's what's happening. Samuel is facing this heartbroken sense inside him. He's grieving, if you will, the sins of Saul. You see, Samuel, at the very beginning, he got this vision. He has this vision in his mind of a king who would be faithful to God and faithful to his people. He had a vision of a king who loved and trusted in God and would teach the people to do the exact same thing. He envisioned a king who would use his power to bless and serve the people, not take advantage of the people. But as we've seen from pre previous weeks, if you've been here, Saul turned out to be a great disappointment. And as I said before, he messed up over and over and over again. He disobeyed God. He tried to use God. He built a monument. If you were here last week, he built a monument for himself. And in chapter 15, Saul began to refer to God as Samuel's God, not even his own. You see, ultimately, 
Saul, when he was anointed king, his problem was he stood head and shoulders above all of Israel, and he knew it. See? He knew it. And listen, the Bible says in James chapter 4 that God opposes the proud. And so I don't know what you want to accomplish for the Lord or within your personal life, but the number one way to prevent that from happening is to have God oppose you. And that's what was happening in Saul's life. And so after Samuel's taken some time to grieve, the Lord looks at him and says, Samuel, it's time to move on. Verse 2, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Okay, what's happening here? Well, what's happening is, back in those days, any time a prophet of God would show up and sacrifice a heifer, it was like a big old worship service. And everyone in town would come out to see this thing that was happening. It was like the Salem Fair. You guys know what I'm talking about? When the Salem Fair comes to town, everybody's going to the Salem Fair. I don't care if you don't like the rides. I don't care if you don't like the merchandise or if you don't like the food. You at least going to go walk around and see what's going on, aren't you? I mean, that's just the thing to be. Maybe not. Maybe it's just me. And so God, what he does is he's essentially like, all right, here it is. You're going to go out and you're going to create this big old worship service. And it's going to attract everyone in town. And meanwhile, what I want you to do is I want you to make sure that Jesse gets all the boys here. And while he's there, I'm going to show you which one of his sons is going to be the next team or next king. Everybody got the game plan? Yes, yes, we got it. All right, let's keep going. Verse 4, here's what he says. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded. You know, church, sometimes... I think we get into this reading of the scriptures and we read the text a little bit too fast. You see right there what the text is saying. It says, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. Write it down. Obedience matters. Obedience matters. Listen, the reason that Saul's life has gone terribly, the reason it's fallen off the rails, if you will, is because he didn't do what the Lord commanded him to do. And while there were multiple times when the Lord was gracious to Saul, and he told him, right, he told him what he should do, instead of listening to, to the Lord, you know what Saul did? He looked back at God, he said, I got this. He said, I got this. But listen, Saul ain't got this, does he? He ain't got this at all. And yet, yet, watch this, as you read through the book of 1 Samuel, what you see over and over and over again is that Samuel just simply does what the Lord commanded him to do. And he leaves the results up to the Lord. And so it says, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. And he came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the city came to meet him trembling, and they said, do you come peaceably? Now, just in case you missed last week, or maybe you forgot what happened last week, let me remind you why the elders of the city were trembling when they came to meet Saul. It's because, you remember, at the end of chapter 15, you remember what happened at the end of chapter 15? At the end of chapter 15, Samuel called in King Agag, and what did it say? It said he hacked Agag into pieces. Right? You guys remember that? 
We saw last week that Samuel's, in fact, a bad mamma jamma. And so what's happening is the stories in town are swirling around. The rumor mill is swirling around that Samuel has just entered in, right? Samuel has arrived, and nobody better mess with him. And so when the elders of the city come up and meet Samuel, they're like, oh, you come peaceably, right? Are you sure you're not like on a killing spree or nothing? Like, are we good? We're good? All right, all right, you can come in. And so look at what Samuel says, verse 5. And he said, peaceably. Yeah, I come peacefully. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And so go consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Verse 6, when, he, when they came, he looked on Eliab, which is the oldest of the sons. He looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And so once again, Samuel told Jesse, Get all your sons to this worship gathering because God's going to show me which one I'm supposed to anoint. And as soon as Jesse brings out the oldest son, as soon as he brings out Eliab, Samuel looks at his outer appearance. He looks at his stature. He looks at the way he's built. He looks how good looking maybe he is. And he says, surely this has got to be the guy. This has got to be the one that the Lord's going to anoint. Now, with that in mind, Think about this for a second. Doesn't this sound awfully familiar to what we saw previously in the book of 1 Samuel? Like, think about it for a minute. If you guys have been paying attention at all while we've been up here trying to preach this text, like, doesn't this sound exactly like what's when Saul was anointed the king? I mean, church, it seems like Samuel is about to fall into the same trap that got this nation into trouble to begin with. It's like Saul's looking at this guy's resume. Or excuse me, Samuel's looking at this guy's resume. He's looking at his physical stature. He's looking at his, his body, and he's captivated by his exterior appearance, and he's thinking, man, this is the one. This is he. This has to be the king. Now, church, let me ask you this. How often in our world today do we do the exact same thing? How often do we look at people's outward appearance and think, this has to be the one? But... With that in mind, look at what the Lord says to Samuel. This is the key for the entire text. Verse 7, don't miss it. Write it down. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Memorize this verse this week. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See that? The Lord looks at the heart. Now, I think in here today, in this room, I think all of us in here would agree that it's what's on the outside, or excuse me, that it's what's on the inside that counts, not what's on the outside. We'd agree with that, right? I think I, think, I don't know a human being in America that would say that's not true. And so we'd all agree that the heart is more important than the exterior. However, I know we'd say that. But I'm not so sure our lifestyles would agree. In other words, I think in a way we're kind of like liars, right? I'll just be, being real. And here's why. Let me prove it to you. Today, before you came to church, did you spend more time preparing your heart to meet the king or preparing your face, hair, and body to look good in front of other people? Right? You see, surveys say that the average American spends roughly 30 minutes getting ready each day. 
Now, when I read that, I thought, how in the world is that possible? It only takes me about 10 minutes in the morning to get ready. But then I took a step back, and I thought about my wife, right? And I was like, okay, right? I remember that, you know, it takes her about, well, it takes her more than 10 minutes. Let's just say that. It's more like 10-minute increments. You know what I'm talking about? She's got to run out, check on the kids and I, make sure we're not getting in trouble. Then she goes back and gets ready. And listen, I'm not complaining. She looks fantastic. Just look at her. She looks fantastic, right? But what I'm saying is she's not hurting that statistic. Now, Let's just say, let's get back to this. Let's just say that the statistics, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm not going to make my own lunch, right? <laughs> that gummit, PB&J for me today. All right, here we go. Let's just say that the statistics for a minute are true, all right? Let's just say they're true. Let's say that the average person takes 30 minutes to get ready. If that's true, then the question is, do you spend at least that amount of time preparing your heart each day? Just ask yourself the question. Like, if we really, really believe that it's the heart that matters, and not the outward appearance, then if you look at your calendar, ask yourself the question, what do you spend more time on, going to the gym or reading the Word? It's just a question you have to ask yourself. You see, here's the reality. If we're spending more time on our exterior bodies than we're spending on our hearts, then it may be an indication of a deeper problem that we have within. You know what that problem is? It's the reality that we might be valuing what other people think more than we're valuing what God thinks. Listen, God never looks at any of us and says, man, that guy's really built, right? He's just jacked. That's all he says. He doesn't look at you ladies out there, maybe guys too. He doesn't look at y'all and say, man, girl, your skin looks really good. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say like, man, check out that sweet new haircut. He doesn't say any of that. Instead, what does he look at? He looks at the interior. He looks at what's inside you. Now, I'm not telling you to, to neglect it. By all means, do not neglect it. we got to take care of the bodies that he's given us, right? And so don't neglect it. By all means, your small group leader is going to approach you if you begin to neglect it, all right? They're just going to wonder what's going on. But what I'm saying is we can't allow our outward appearance, listen to me, to become more important than what's going on in our hearts, right? Because God looks at the heart. Now, with that in mind, the question I have for you is this. What steps, this is your application from it, what steps right now are you taking to make sure you're constantly working on your heart? What steps are you taking to work on your heart? Listen, no matter where you're at in your faith journey, whether you're a brand new believer or whether you've been a believer for 50 years, there are always steps forward that you can take. That's why we're called. Think about it. We're called to be followers of Jesus. If I was to follow after somebody, what would I do? If another person walked in front of me to follow them, what would I do? I would have to start walking to follow after them, right? Well, as soon as I stop taking steps, am I following somebody anymore? Absolutely not, right? And so in our lives, we are called to always continually look at our hearts and say, how can I take a next step for Jesus Christ? And with that, we understand that, hey, sometimes it's hard to discern what is my next step. What is the next thing that I'm supposed to do? Or if you're not even a believer today at all, what is my first step? How do I do that? Well, here at FCC, we've developed something. It's part of our vision. It's called the Discipleship Pathway. Many of you have seen it. Some of you have not. If you've taken our Next Steps class at any point in the last couple of years, you've seen it. But let me walk you through it just real quick, and I want to challenge you with some things. Number one, at the top corner, if you haven't seen this, salvation. Your journey with Jesus begins first with a relationship with him. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, I invite you to experience him for the very first time this morning. And following that's what we talked about before. It's baptism, 
right? As soon as that first next step after you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus is to demonstrate that publicly through baptism. And so if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Allen, I am a believer in Jesus. I am following after him, but I've never shown that publicly, then that is your next step today. Following that, you come down to this little word called connect. And connect is a lot of different things. Connect is reading the Bible. It's connect is seeking him in prayer. Connect is joining a life group and being part of a biblical community. You go over, you see serve. And so the Lord has given all of us at the moment of salvation, we receive spiritual gifts from the Father. And he didn't give those to you to put under a Christmas tree and open up in a year. He gave those to you to put into action right now to glorify his kingdom. And so ask yourself, how can I be glorifying God's kingdom through serving? And then the last one up there is giving, right? It is so much better to give than to receive. And so all of us are called to be generous with our tithes and with our offerings on a regular basis. Now, here's the deal. Some of us in this room right now, you can look up there and you can say, all right, there's some clear things that I'm not doing that I can, if I begin doing, it's going to help me develop my heart in a deeper way. Right? There's some clear things that maybe you're not participating in right now that you could take a step in today. But for others of us sitting in the room, you could look at that screen and say, I'm doing every single one of those. And so the temptation this morning is this. The temptation is to say, you know what? I'm checking every box. I'm good. There's no next step for me. I'm taking all the steps. Let me challenge your thinking this morning to think beyond what you maybe see right here. You see, for instance, maybe God is calling you to serve right now in a greater capacity. What I mean by that is maybe you're serving twice a week and the Lord's saying, you know what? you got more in the tank. I want you to serve every single Sunday. Maybe right now, instead of attending a life group, which you've been doing for years and years and years, God's giving you the gift of teaching and you need to lead a life group because you have that gift and you're not using it. Maybe he's calling you right now to give in a greater capacity than you're currently doing because you've been blessed abundantly by the Lord. And so you can do that financially. Maybe, just maybe, you look at the very top corner, it says making disciples. And you need to get more serious about making disciples. And what I mean by that is you need to begin developing leaders for the next generation in this church. Or maybe, just maybe... He's saying, you know what? You need to get real intentional about sharing your faith with other people. Church, whatever it is, there are always next steps that we can take in our faith. And so this morning, I challenge you. Let me tell you, I dare you to take just one step of faith. Like if it's true that the Lord does not look at the outer appearance as man does, but the Lord looks at the heart, then what is one step, just one step that you can take this week to do some work on your heart. Okay, enough said about that. Let's get back to our text. And so the reality is, when you look back at this, we see that Eliab has been rejected. First son is out. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Then Jesse called a second son, Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 9. And Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Now, at this point, just thinking about Samuel, I think he's getting a little frustrated right now. You know what I'm saying? Like he's, he's got to be thinking, I know the Lord told me to come here, and I know he told me that the next king was going to come from your family. And so he's thinking, what in the world's going on here? So he asks a question. He says, are all your sons here? In other words, I told you to bring them all. Did you bring them all? And Jesse says, oh, yeah, there remains this young guy. He's out there keeping sheep. And what does Samuel look at him? He says, 
go get him. What are you doing? He says, send him. Get on after it, for we are not going to sit down until he gets here. Now, is it me, or does Samuel seem a little bit ornery? Like, does he just seem a little cranky or something right here? I mean, think about it. He looks at Jesse and says, bro, you have one job. I told you to get the boys here, and you left one of them out. And so Samuel looks at Jesse and says, I need you to go and get Daniel. Or get da- Daniel. Where'd Daniel come from? Get David. Daniel can come too, but get David. That's who we want. And by the way, while you're gone, we're not sitting down at all. We're going to stand right here. We're not eating. We're just going to wait until this guy comes off. And in my mind, I just picture this little boy just taking off across the fields, just tearing through. He's like, I got to get David. I got to get David because they know Samuel's going to get mad if they don't get David. And we don't want Samuel to be mad. You know what I'm saying? We don't want that. Now, all that's happening. Okay, all that's flowing in the story. So somebody's off to get David. But with that going on, Take a step back for a second and put yourself for a moment in David's shoes, okay? Just be David for a second. On the biggest day in Bethlehem, in the biggest moment of your family's history, you've been forgotten and you've been overlooked. Just think about that. Forgotten and overlooked. And I don't know about you, but it seems like what happened here is Jesse, his father, has already predetermined the limit for what David could do. In other words, he has already predetermined that David was not qualified to be anointed as king. And the text doesn't give us clarity on that, so I don't know if it's because of his age. I don't know if it's because he's a shepherd and he's got sheep duties. I don't know what it is, right? There could be something else, but the bottom line is David got left out, didn't he? He's the only one that got left out. Now, with that thought in mind, I want all of you to lean in close for a second. Everybody look up here and focus in on what I'm about to say because it's really important. Because here's the reality. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been told, or no matter how this world tries to label you, the God of the universe can use you for his glory and for his purposes. Amen? And listen, the enemy, the enemy is always on the prowl. He's always trying to bring us down. And the enemy wants nothing more than to get inside of our minds and whisper those lies to us. Listen, he wants you to believe that God would never use someone like you. He wants you to believe that you're not qualified for his kingdom. He wants you to believe that you'll never, ever, ever be good enough. And maybe it's because of your past sins. Maybe it's because of mistakes you've made in relationships. Maybe it's because of your age or because of your experience. But church is a fancy word in in the Bible that we use to define all of what the enemy is trying to do. Do you know what it is? It's called condemnation. And condemnation is a lie from the pit of hell is where it's from. In fact, condemnation is a building term. You know what it means? It means unfit for use. It means unfit for use. And that's what the enemy wants you to believe about yourself, church. The evil one right now wants you to look in the mirror and say, I am unfit for kingdom use. But church, (laughs) I have some good news for you this morning. The good news is while we are sitting in our condemnation, we are overwhelmed with the fact of thinking the the thoughts that the evil ones put in our minds, the good news is that the gospel enters in. And you know what the gospel says? Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means if you are in Christ Jesus, then only Jesus gets to tell you who you are. Listen, only Jesus gets to tell you what you can and cannot do. And so you just keep running after the Lord. 
You be obedient to whatever it is he tells you to do. Remember, obedience matters. And if you do that, just watch what the Lord will do in your life. Just watch it. Church, God has a purpose and he has a plan for every single one of your lives. No matter who you are, what you've done, or what the world tries to label you as, God can use you just like he can use this little shepherd boy named David. Amen? Amen. And so David's out there. He's in the pasture. And Samuel says, go get him. We're not going to sit down until this young man gets into our presence. Verse 12. And he sent him and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Pause right there. I love that word ruddy, don't you? I looked it up. Ruddy in this sense. Some scholars say that the word ruddy means like redheaded or freckled. Others say it means like dirty, disheveled, and smelled like the pasture. But either way, I don't know how one word can mean both those things. But either way, the question is, when you read verse 12, when you look at ruddy, beautiful eyes, and handsome, the question is, does that description of David make you think of a king? Does that description make you think of this mighty warrior? And the answer in your mind should be absolutely not. And so the point right here that the text is trying to make is that David doesn't look like a king. He doesn't look anything like a mighty warrior. He just looks like a little kid, like a teenager with a pretty boy face. He's like Justin Bieber out there, right? That's what he is, right? And yet, when the Lord see, when, when Samuel looks upon him, look at what the Lord says. He says, arise and anoint him, right? For this is he. In other words, this is the one. Church, God in this verse, right here, verse 12, he has officially selected his new leader for the nation of Israel. And essentially what's happening here is David is being set apart for God's kingdom. And the reason that David is anointed as king is not because of his resume. It's not because of his stature. And it's not because of the people he knows or the family that he's part of. Instead, the reason that David is anointed as king, well, there really is only one reason. And it's because God has decided that he wants to use David for his glory. Church, write it down, down this morning. God doesn't necessarily call the qualified. God qualifies those he calls. That's it, right? God doesn't necessarily call the qualified. He qualifies those he called. In other words, God didn't save you because he needs you, church. Understand that. He did not save you because he needs you. He saved you because he loves you. That's it. He saved you because he loves you. And now he wants to use you for his purposes and for his glory. And then as we wrap up the text today, Look at what happens next as David is anointed king. Verse 13, I love this part of the text. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord, look at those words, rushed upon him from that day forth. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon him from that day forth. Church, do you understand what happens in our lives when we repent of our sin and when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, what happens is the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon our lives, right? And we receive the supernatural power from God himself. Remember what Jesus said, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus, through, through us believing in him, Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You, church, let me remind you of something this morning. 
When you asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, when you repented of your sin and believed the gospel for the very first time, yes, God took away your sins, and yes, he made you a new creation. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. But God also gave you a gift. You see, he gave you the power of the Holy Spirit, which means if you're in here right now, and you'd say, I'm a follower of Jesus, then right now, in this moment, the Holy Spirit of God is living inside you. Like, think about that. This blows me away. The Holy Spirit of God has created permanent residence in your heart. Church, the same Holy Spirit that you read about all throughout the New Testament is living inside you right now. And His divine power is giving you everything you need to accomplish everything that he has called you to do. And so the question, as we wrap up this morning, is this. What is the Lord calling you to do? What is he calling you to do this morning? In other words, what step or steps do you need to take this week in order to discover and deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ? Church, the altar this morning is going to be open for prayer for you to seek his face. There's going to be someone hanging out over here at our need prayer sign if you need to receive prayer this morning. There are connection cards in your chairs so that you can fill those out and we can help you take those next steps if you're ready to take them today. But the most important thing is this. The Holy Spirit of God is filling this room right now and he is ready to reveal to you exactly what your next step should be. And so why don't we do this? Why don't we close in prayer and ask him, what he wants us to do. Let's all bow our heads. Everybody praying. Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word to us today. Lord, we thank you for the truths that we found all throughout the book of 1 Samuel. And I pray and thank you this morning that you don't necessarily just look at my outer appearance. Because I know as I get older, Lord, this outer appearance is going to deteriorate. And so I praise you and thank you this morning that you focus in and work more on my heart, look more at my heart than anything else. Father, I thank you that you're using a wretched sinner like me, wretched sinners like all of us, to accomplish great things for your kingdom. I thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit to reside in every single one of the believers' hearts. I pray that we don't forget that, but that we keep that on the forefront of our minds. And so right now, speaking of the Holy Spirit, I want to just invite you, call upon the name of the Lord in the stillness of this moment right now. Ask him, say, Lord, What do you have for me? What is my next step today? Father, I believe that you're revealing things to people right now, but what's what's crazy to think is that somehow when the Spirit moves in our hearts, when we're in the worship gathering, somehow... It happens that between the seat that we're sitting in now and the car, that feeling is gone and nothing happens. And so I pray that right now as you're revealing things to people, that you're showing them what next step they need to take in their heart, I pray that they will be obedient to it. Because as we said, obedience matters. And so church, I pray right now over you. I pray that the Lord is working in your heart and that you will be obedient to what he is calling you to. And now I pray for all of those who are in our midst this morning who maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus or maybe have walked away from the faith and need to come back. Father, would you draw them to yourself right now? Would you move and stir in their heart in a way that they see their need for Jesus and that they run to you right now? 
And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you say, you know, Pastor Allen, today I need to receive salvation, then just simply pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I've messed up. I know that I've sinned and broken your commands. But I also realize that you are a Savior. And so right now I want to turn from my sin and I want to put my faith and trust in you. I want, to be the Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I want to follow you from this day forward. Father, we thank you once again for our time together today. And we pray now that as we sing one last song and lift our voices, that it will be holy and it will be honoring to you as we consider what it is you're calling us to do. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's all stand and let's continue in worship as the Lord reveals things in our hearts.